Hi friends, this is self-care and soul care for the caregiver and I'm your host, Sandra Peoples. This is episode 38 and today I'm talking with my friend Jillian about managing your mental health. So I am super excited to have Jillian with us today. Jillian and I have known each other online (laughs) for like years, but we've never met in person, even though it seems like we have crossed paths so many times. So it is especially fun for me tonight to get to hang out with her and share our hangout time with you. So thank you audience for joining us and thank you, Jillian, for making time to be with us. Thanks so much for having me, Sandra. I'm really excited about this conversation and about talking with you face to face. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And I know it's really going to be helpful. Um, we have these ongoing conversations. We I mention it pretty often on the podcast as we care for our mental health. And so you and I represent uh, a history of mental health struggles and victories and setbacks and challenges and this diagnosis process even that we'll talk about. And so when I thought about an episode specifically on mental health, I for sure wanted you to come on and share your story with all of our listeners. Well, I'm so happy to do so. It encourages and helps me when I'm able to share what I've been through and what God's teaching me and to hear about your life and about your listeners. So I'm excited to do this. Yeah. It's going to be fun. I know. Even when we talk, I talk about how special needs parents often like skip the small talk and get right to the really hard stuff. And so I feel like this is going to be one of those conversations where we're just going to dive right in and get right in it. But that's the most helpful, I think, really. Yeah, we don't have time to mess around. (laughs) We really do. We got big stuff to figure out. We got a short amount of time to do it before we get interrupted or something is going to happen. So if you could take just a couple minutes to tell us about yourself and your husband and your kids and just life at your house. Okay. Well, we live in a suburb of St. Louis. We've been here for five years, moved here from Chicago. My husband pastors a church um, here in our city. It's called Chatham Bible Church. So it's a non-denominational church. We have four children. Uh, our oldest will be 20 at the end of September, and then 18, 14, and 13, all girls. So, you know, we've all had this pandemic era where our lives all changed, and for us that meant grown-up children coming back home, and so things were harried in a lot of ways these last six months, but you know how when chaos ensues and you think pretty much everything is crummy right now, there are these these morsels of blessing. And one of them for us was just having our girls back all together. It was unexpected and our lives were kind of shut down for a while, allowed us to reset, but now they're off. They both just left last week, the two older ones for college. One's going to Wheaton College and one's going to Moody Bible Institute. So now we only have two girls out of the four here at home. Yeah. (laughs) So this is a big adjustment week for you. And yeah, I needed someone to talk to Sandra. (laughs) Yeah, I get that too. Now, and it's you, you have two daughters with disabilities, the younger two, right? Yeah, so we have Polly. Um, Her full name is Polina. And now that she's a teenager, she wants to be called Polina. But she has been Polly. (laughs) And it's very difficult, but she corrects me every time. So we have Polina, who's 14, and she has Down syndrome and Moya Moya disease, which is a stroke disorder. in the brain. So her arteries thin to the point of strokes and seizures. So 
Uh, and then we have Evangeline, who's six months younger than Polly, and she was adopted from Ukraine in 2009. And she has a dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism. Okay. So I have major depressive disorder. The girls have those. They each got a couple diagnoses, and our dog has seizures. So we're kind of like the jackpot people, yeah. you know? Yeah. We are not betting people, but I told my husband, we should try to lie yeah. <laughs> you get everything. But yeah, so they keep us busy. Yeah, well, you're going to have to change your hashtag on Instagram, not Polly for president anymore, if she wants her full name. That'll be a big change. <laughs> Can we not do that? I like the, the hashtag the way it is, but when she figures that out, I think she'll have something to say about it. Yeah, so. I bet she will. Yeah. Yeah. So I have an older sister with Down syndrome. And so I grew up in a, a house with a sister with Down syndrome and all girls like you have. And so I love to see your stories, especially on Instagram and, and remember what life was like for us when we were all sisters living at home and we have my two sisters and I all have blonde hair. And I remember like my mom lining us up and curling our hair and <laughs> just all those sister things. And when I see your girls and, and they have similar coloring and, you know, I think, oh, these blondes and. Yeah, well, likewise. Yeah, I similarly look at your stuff online. And of course, I'm a fan of your work and seeing you with your sister as a mom, you know, it's, it's just um, fascinating uh, to just see an adult sibling relationship and to hear from a sibling's perspective who has had a little bit of time and maturity to kind of process having a sibling with special needs. So you have some real specific ways that you can bless the community yeah. as a sib and a mom. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. I think like this very unique calling. And, you know, some of the things we're going to talk about today, uh, mental health, I think, mm -hmm. really apply to our kids, our typical kids in our families growing up. And so for me, realizing some of the things that I'm dealing with now are not the fault of my family of origin, but they're a result of the way that I grew up in my sister's shadow and kind of compensating for things along the way. And so you know, this conversation really can apply to those who are parenting typical siblings to know some things to watch out for, just to be aware of as they're guiding their, especially teenagers, <laughs> through those teenagers yeah. when the emotions get bigger and can take over. I love the way you said that. You said not the fault of, but result of. That's helpful. And I can see echoes of that in my two older girls. They're yeah. starting to process and think things through themselves as individuals yeah uh, and it's an important important aspect of their lives but they were both very excited to go to college my daughter last year said she was for the first time known as Elena not the yeah. pastor's daughter not Polly and Evie's sister but she was just Elena and she said I didn't talk about my family very much because I didn't have to and that was freeing for her and I can understand why yeah a hundred percent I say like when I do things specifically on special needs siblings, I talk about that they have three phases and the phase your girls are in now is figuring out who they are based on having a sibling with a disability because for the first time, like we were Sybil, Sandra, Sarah, we were all S names. And so I went off to college like your girls and I wasn't Sybil's sister anymore. 
Mm-hmm. So then I had to figure out who I was. <laughs> if I wasn't well, your little, sister's the oldest, the oldest one with Down uh, syndrome. Okay. Just for, we're just 14 months apart. And so we were together. We were just a grade apart in school, especially in junior high and high. We went to different elementary schools, but we were at the same junior high and high school. And so, okay. and then wow. our younger sister is five years younger than I am and six years younger than Sybil. So, you know, like she, was added to the mix and just mm-hmm. has a different dynamic and all of that than even I did. And so, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It's fun. It's still yeah. fun to figure out and do all of the thinking, okay, how, like when I'm looking at my life specifically and mental health related and how Sarah reacted to a similar situation, but in a totally different way, that's really interesting to me. Like, how did we come out with these almost opposite personalities, opposite reactions to the same home environment? And yeah, with all the same, I mean, you don't want to use the word stress or just being negative, but it's just a added level of stress in your family when you have people who are differently abled. So how you both have come out of that and your experiences with it. it is fascinating. My two older girls are just 18 months apart and then Zoya, so we have Elena, Zoya, Polly, and Evie. Zoya and Polly are four four years apart. So they had a little bit of space, but yeah, it's all encompassing. In those early years with diagnoses and surgeries and in-home therapy, our girls got a lot of the scraps, you know, and they felt it. So yeah. we've had to talk through a lot of that. But okay, so I'm gonna sign them up for any of your sib stuff. <laughs> And then I'm going to come and stay at your house because you also have a really cool pool. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. we can move on now. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it, it's fun. And they are in sweet years. I mean, you know, like some, we got to give them space to figure out who they are. And so it'll be fun, I think, for you as the mom to see them spread their wings a little bit. And Absolutely. I've already, saw, I've already seen a little glimpse and... It's just a joy to see your kids, and they're both walking with the Lord, which is Jesus. That's not to do with us, ultimately, and it's such a blessing to see them grow. I mean, it, it's just the coolest thing. So Yeah, I know. Yeah. Being, yeah. being a parent is so fun. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fun and challenging, but as all things are. So, mm-hmm. all right, well, let's talk a little bit into... Um, our different diagnoses that you and I mm-hmm. have separate from all of the, <laughs> the things in our families and um, the process for that. I'll, I'll tell, I haven't talked about this on the podcast at length before, and this is all really new to me. And so really it was just a few months ago at the beginning of like COVID and I was dealing with some things that I realized were not just normal feelings of anxiety. And so growing up with a sister with Down syndrome, you, people see you and you're known, you know, you go to a restaurant and they, they see her and we grew up in this small town. And so I had always been like hyper aware of the people around me and how they were reacting to me. But I kind of thought that was normal because of my upbringing. And, but then recently it, and as I parent James, now James has level three autism. So he's mostly nonverbal. He does have some words and some vocalizations, but obviously having autism and not down syndrome means there's no physical markers of his disability. So when we walk into a restaurant, they don't, 
they don't change their expectations of how he should act because he looks like a typical kid until he screeches or something or, you know, something goes not wrong, but, you know, he gets loud. And we had this situation a few years ago. We were on a road trip and we stopped at uh, like a fast food restaurant and he the, they took a really long time and he was not waiting very patiently. And there was another family close to us and they moved away oh. from where we were sitting. And Jillian, like, like we haven't been in a restaurant to eat in, in three years <laughs> since that, like maybe just once or twice. And I'm talking like not even Chick-fil-A or like, and I oh, realized so painful. it was so painful, but I realized, okay, my reaction to this is not normal. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I, this is, there's something more going on here than just me being able to chalk it up to being a special needs sibling. And so I talked to um, somebody we both know, Steve Gersovich, who's mm -hmm. in the mental health world. And I used to work for Key Ministry and he was my boss. So he knew me <laughs> really well. Yeah. And so I think I like texted him and said, oh, I Googled it, like all my symptoms. <laughs> and then I texted him. I was like, I think I have social anxiety disorder. And he was like, how about we talk tomorrow? <laughs> so, wow. so we talked about it and um, he, you know, asked some, just his friends, like not as a, he is a psychiatrist, but it wasn't, it was just, Hey, we know each other and help guide mm -hmm. me on what to do. And he asked some leading, you know, some questions that helped. And he's like, yeah, I, I could see this for you. And so he recommended finding a cognitive behavioral therapist. Mm -hmm. So then I talked to a friend at church who I know sees a therapist regularly and she recommended somebody and then we were a good match. And so I've been seeing her, uh, since, I guess since March. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of at the beginning of this process of having a diagnosis and managing that so that it doesn't disrupt our family lives quite as big as it was, you know, and it's giving me wow. more understanding of, why I, re you know, because Steve was like, because I'm a pastor's wife like you are. And he said, well, mm -hmm. that's got to be tough, right? To have social anxiety and be a pastor's wife. And I said, <laughs> no, like I have, I know what the expectations are of me at church. And I meet you have the jazz hands if we need them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I sit on the front row and I have this role, not a role to play in a bad way. Like I'm an actor, yeah. but, and he said, well, what if you went to like a neighborhood picnic? And I said, oh, I wouldn't do that. He's like, but what if you had to? Well, <laughs> you know, like then I would find a job to do and do that mm. job instead of just standing. And he said, well, do you make phone calls? No. Do you return things to stores? No. <laughs> you know? And so I was like, oh, okay. So these things aren't normal in, in a way that it's a affecting my life, you know? And wow. So, I didn't anyway. realize it was so new for you as far as a name to it. Yeah. Does that feel helpful? To have a name for it? It does. I mean, you know, we, what's funny, like I have dyslexia and I got mm -hmm. diagnosed when I was late in high school. And I remember my grandma being on the phone with one of my aunts and saying to my aunt, my mom's name is Theresa. And my grandma said, well, there's something wrong with every one of Theresa's kids. And she didn't say it in a negative way because she was just like, you know, Sybil has Down syndrome. Sandra has dyslexia. Sarah was struggling like with a skin thing at the time. And so having labels and diagnoses in our family is not a big deal. It's not I mean, scary. You know, like it's a yeah. helpful, 
it helps give that language. And just like yeah. when we got James's autism diagnosis, I thought, okay, now there's now a we big have relief a that comes with it. Yeah. yeah. And now I can get help. And now there's this plan. And so, and my husband has struggled at times with depression, uh, especially mm -hmm. we went through a really hard family issue six years ago now. Um, and so like panic attacks and medication being helpful and counseling and mm -hmm. all of those things. And so it wasn't even new in our family to have one of us struggling. It was just like, oh, okay, it's Sandra's turn now <laughs> to figure out how to be healthier and manage this better. Right. So it's not, and I know it can be scary, but yeah, I guess because of the, the family, you know, everybody having a diagnosis being 40, one now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's a little different when you're getting a diagnosis at this stage. And you know, as a mom and in your line of work, that knowledge really is power. Yeah. You, you know, if we know what we're dealing with, um, it's not going to be all wrapped up in a pretty box and taken care of, but we can go to the correct avenues and you even have those in place. Just God providing a good friend who is a phenomenal psychiatrist, you know, and different people like your husband and your friends that you could reach out to. Um, yeah, I think it's it's very helpful to get get those words if you can, and that just puts you on a path that might help with it all. Wow, I didn't realize, so this is new as far as, here's another thing in my life, this is all just happening. Yeah, but it was really one of those things where, oh, this, this is the missing piece. Like this makes mm. everything else make sense. And so that, it was a good thing as opposed yeah. to, oh, now I got, <laughs> now I got this to work around. It was like, oh, now there's, I, I just felt more hope under, and yeah. understanding to say, okay, now I have a language to describe yes. what I'm feeling. So that well, was I'm thing. looking forward to hearing what you're doing and what things you're working on for that area of your life, you know, to help, to get help. Yeah. I feel like it's like with my real in real life friends, I feel like almost every conversation starts as, well, my therapist said, you know? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, we know you have a therapist. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, sorry guys, but, and it's so funny because of course, we're not talking to anybody during this COVID season, right? And so right. my therapist and the person who delivers my groceries every week, those are my closest friends, like as far right. as who I'm seeing. And so it's kind yeah, of- Yeah, I always shift. used to joke. I'm like, I'll pay my best friend. I don't care. It feels better. Like I pay yeah. her. She has to listen to me. It's objective <laughs> and I can leave. It, it's that degree of separation, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's okay if they're really important people in our lives. I think they're meant to be. So yeah, that's funny that's though. Good. Yeah. And so your diagnosis journey, when did it start? It was it's a little bit longer than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'll go quickly just for time purposes, but I think where I am now and seeing my journey and being able to process it at this level of health, I can look back and see that I had a low grade dysthymic depression my whole life um, that you know dysthymia is kind of like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh nobody cares about me anyway that stuff and you don't even really realize what's going on you just know that other people seem happy and you have low-grade energy and not a lot of things bring you joy and you struggle to start things and finish things and it's just 
something you struggle with, but it's not breakdown, non-functional depression. So I think a lot of people have aspects of that. And so I certainly did. Um, and I wasn't raised in a Christian home. So when I came to Christ when I was 16, that was a cataclysmic moment for me, obviously, as far as feeling like some empty spaces in myself had filled up, you know, with, with the Lord. But the the dysthymic, you know, emotions and thoughts just continued. And it really came out ahead after I had my first daughter, Elena. So I'm 45. She's going to be um, 20. So I was 25 years old when I had her. And I just chalked it up to not being prepared for motherhood. But looking back now, I know I probably was in a depressive episode. Didn't know it. And I struggled through. And so then we thought, let's have another one. <laughs> <laughs> because we're not very bright. So 18 <laughs> months later, Zoya came along. And part of that is I met my husband, Sergei, when I did missions work in Ukraine. He was my interpreter. And our plan after we came back and went to Moody Bible Institute together was to go back and serve long-term as missionaries in Ukraine. And we wanted to get on the mission field. Yeah. So we thought, let's have these kids and then get over there. Um, so that was part of it too. So after Zoya was born, I think I had my first depressive episode where I just kind of um, stopped being able to function and care for these little kids. And it was a crazy time because we were, we had raised our support and we were going on the mission field, you know, um, I had a therapist and I was on medication, but it wasn't really delving into the illness. It was, let's do what we can right now to get to the next spot we need to get to. So fast forward in Ukraine, I did pretty well, um, all things considered. And then we were pregnant with daughter number three, who is Polly, and we weren't aware of her diagnosis of Down syndrome. So she was born three weeks early there in a Ukrainian hospital via emergency C-section. It was a very traumatic event in both of our lives. And we found out she had Down syndrome and I just fell apart. And it's, it seems like that whole low grade tide that had been building my whole life as far as um, depression just kind of broke open and spilled out. And I think it would for any, I mean, I don't think we as parents of kids with special needs need to feel any shame for struggling with diagnoses. It's part of the process. But mine became very, um, very difficult in bed for days, weeks at a time, not functioning, not caring for myself or my kids. So um I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. We were pastoring a church in Chicago then. And I too went to a cognitive behavioral therapist. And I think between the, the therapist and the medication I was on really is what the Lord used to help me get a foothold in that, in that pit and to kind of boost me up. You know, um, I've done a lot of things as far as spiritual growth, which I think is essential as a person of faith who has a mental illness. But in the beginning for me, it was the meds and the doctor who helped yeah. me because I was not able to get one foot in front of the other. Yeah. So that was, um, well, Polly is 14. So, you know, that was a decade ago. And then I struggled on and off throughout. We added Evie into our family. We didn't know about her autism diagnosis. So she was much more lower functioning than we thought. Yeah. She was still who we believe God had for us, um, and we love her, but it's been very, very difficult with her. Yeah. And then, so, so I guess what I'm trying to say is we've had these big things in our lives that have been situationally depressing. <laughs> yeah. People are, I mean, we just, it's a lot to carry, but I also do believe that I have a clinical component that was always there kind of getting ready to exert itself, so... Yeah. 
and I guess the, the biggest time of depression came then six weeks after um, Evie came home from Ukraine, Polly had a major stroke oh, and wow. she had two brain surgeries and got her second diagnosis. So it was all this juggling and there was years of that and um, years of me uh, um, utilizing poor coping mechanisms and delving into different practices that were not healthy or helpful to me just to kind of get by yeah. and then um yeah then the lord just kind of bringing things in my life to start the slow process of of healing so yeah, yeah. i said that was going to be short but i'm sorry <laughs> no it was perfect i think it's we can relate to that like i remember my dad uh sybil my sister was born in 1977 and they didn't know she was going to have down syndrome they didn't I mean, amniocentesis were an option, but they wouldn't have, Sybil's the first one born in our family. So it was the first yeah. pregnancy for my mom and all that. And I remember I was, my dad and I were on this cross country road trip from California to North Carolina when I went to seminary. And he told me for the first time how my mom reacted to Sybil's diagnosis. And dad said that she sat in a rocking chair and rocked Sybil and didn't move hmm. for like days. And and of course I was 22 or 23 when dad was telling me that, but when I had James, James got James's diagnosis, it, that story brought me comfort <laughs> because I wow. thought, okay, like my mom struggled and it's okay for me to struggle and it's okay for me to process this. And it's okay for me to, to take my time, you know, because yes. especially the expectation for me, because I had already lived this special needs family life was that I would take the news better. And just welcome it. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I still had my grieving process. And so yes. as you and I are talking about things triggering depression or things triggering anxiety, I think that there's nothing <laughs> potentially more triggering than this life-changing diagnosis for your child. And so there's a before and after for sure before yeah. the diagnosis and after, and there's, there's real life on both sides, but it definitely is a, a divide there. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the little bit of work I've done in these last few years around this issue of mental illness and faith, um, I don't even think it matters that much if we, if we tap on clinical or situational, I just think if someone is struggling with anxiety or depression, like the bottom line is let's figure out ways to get help as opposed to, well, let's quantify if this really is depression or if you should be able to pull yourself out of this yeah. because it doesn't matter. You know, if yeah. you're at that point where you need help, then it's not about the label at that point. So yeah. Yeah. Both of our husbands are pastors and while they do some general counseling, uh, they aren't pros at it. And I think both of them, <laughs> would say that that's not a dig at their skill set, but um, I, I read a stat that was the percentage of people who start with their pastor when they have a need. And it was like 20% or something, you know, if they're on this mental health journey, they start with their pastor. So like in mm -hmm. our church, if somebody comes to Lee, then Lee may meet with them once or twice. And then he refers them on to, there's another church, a big church close that has, a counseling ministry, like mm -hmm. everybody's licensed. And yeah. so a lot of people, especially if it's like marriage counseling that they need, then he refers them on there. And then 
You know, we have other, like I went to a friend at church who I knew had a good therapist and got her recommendation. And so, yes, and it has a lot to do with the evolving church, right? That nowadays, just the whole language of mental illness is spoken in the church pews, you know, yeah. where people don't feel like this has to be a darkness that you carry on your own, but there's more freedom to share it with people. And then I think that means a lot more pastors at least have um, a working framework as to what to do or how to help and and maybe can be a little more discerning about, you know, I really do think you should go see your doctor or let's meet a couple times, my wife and I and you or something like that. I just think there's been an evolution there of um, acceptance and awareness that helps people feel like they can. Probably that stat, if it's from a long time ago, it's probably because nobody felt safe to talk about mental illness in their churches. Yeah. Yeah. And that's changing slowly. Um, I do think there's a lot of things in my illness that I'm going to use air quotes for people, um, you know, but um, that can be prayed, not prayed away, but I, first of all, I believe Jesus heals, you know, God is the great physician. And I do think there are things that I think he has just brought me out of, but I also think he has used, you know, medicine, modern medicine to help me. And I, I just think people are talking more about those things in churches, yeah. which gives those of us who struggle just the ability to speak up and talk about it. Yeah, which I think is a gift. You and I were talking about our teenagers earlier. This generation of teenagers has a different vocabulary than we had. You know, like I might have said I was sad, but David is 14 and he would be much more likely to say if it's an ongoing, no, I, mom, I feel depressed. Like I, more like a hopeless feeling. He just has more words for things. And yes. And you know, I'm not just nervous about this test. I'm, my body is reacting with anxiety and this is how it feels in my body and in my mind. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's been interesting, I think, and we're learning <laughs> from them because they are so much more open about it and have this, this language. And so even when Lee preaches his, his language that he uses will include depression or anxiety or even talks about self-harm or suicide so that partly because he knows he has this group of teenagers and that those are the words they're using and they need to know the seriousness of it and but it opens that up for everybody to say oh we we can talk about these things because there is hope in the gospel and hope from therapists and hope from medicine and mm -hmm. and all of these things work together to strengthen our us and our kids but i think it's really cool the way they are teaching us about mm -hmm. that's been our experience too as far as sergey just from the pulpit and i do hope i mean our husbands have experienced these things firsthand so obviously it's on their radar yeah. but i do think across the board more and more um leaders in the faith community are talking about these things. And I do agree that the next generation, you know, the generations behind us just have those words. Even Polly, you know, who's 14 and she has Down syndrome, just this morning when we were going over her verses for devotions, and it was just she and I this morning, everybody else was up doing things. And um, we always think about prayer requests for each person in the family. 
And I said, well, you can pray for me. I'm just a little bit down. And she said, mom, are you yellow? Which for me, I have, you know, we've built up this little color system for my depression because when I was non-functioning, it was hard for me to communicate how I felt. So our cognitive behavioral therapist in Chicago suggested making a color system. And it's just to say how you feel with just a color. So green is fabulous. Blue is doing well. Um, yellow is I'm struggling, but I'm working through. And red is it, what it used to mean to Sergey was you're on your own. I'm going to be in bed and I don't know when I'm going to get out. You know, my kids know those those words and they know that these are real things. And they know that brokenness exists in the world in ways in which I never thought of until I saw my own brokenness. Yeah. And I do think that's really neat that they have that. And even as pastor's wives, like we can be encouraging and be tools. Like we've started regathering, you know, a few weeks ago. And uh, one of the things I told Lee, I was like, can we take pictures of what it's going to look like when people walk into the sanctuary? And I said, because like my social anxiety makes me really nervous if I don't know what to expect. And that may be true of other people. And so, take a picture that shows that the, this is what the lobby looks like now. And this is who's going to greet you at the door. And here's where you, when you walk in, we hope that you wear a mask and here's where you can get the hand gel. And here's what the, we're going to sit every other pew. <laughs> so like for that. me to just kind of point out to him, there are people like me who, who are going to get angsty about this to the point where it might keep them home just because mm -hmm. they don't know what to expect. And so if we can break down that barrier, just with mm -hmm. pictures and an explanation, then. Mm -hmm. Or just even that. raising our hands and saying, hey, I struggle with these things. You're not alone. I mean, one of the most powerful things for me is just knowing I'm not alone yeah. in my struggles. And when we share our stories with each other, when we were, when we felt like we had been released from our church in Chicago and we were looking for another church, we were at burnout, our family for sure. And, um, I remember saying to Sergey, who would want us? <laughs> you know, I have these books out. They aren't pretty. <laughs> you know, like people can Google me. Not the best, you know, if we want to be like good candidates to lead a church. And, you know, we have all these special needs and these struggles and we're public about it. Yeah. And this church, that was one of the things they liked. And and I do think that God just called us to this church. That's why they like it. But, but I, I mean they wanted to see brokenness and see God and see Jesus through the cracks. And it has given them, and this is all to God's glory, but given them allowance, many of them have said to us, you know, just having you here makes us feel like we can share all the stuff and not keep it. And you know that our sin and our struggles just multiply and grow in the dark if they're not brought out in the light. So it's overall healthy, even though it's still painful for sure. Yeah, I know. Not and not to quote my therapist a hundred times in this <laughs> conversation, but she talked, we talk a whole lot about vulnerability and yeah. going first and being real. And, and that's important. I mean, we can lead the way in that as pastor's wives to say, it's okay not to be okay in this space. Yes. We're not expecting perfection or none of us <laughs> could show up here. And so let's, no. You know, That's we have encouraged. Corinthians talking about weakness and how God's power is made perfect in our weakness. You know, there's a, a very um, vibrant, strong theology of weakness throughout scripture that we need to own because we see God's glory in it. 
but it, it's hard. And I do think that maybe not everybody's going to lead ministries like you, Sandra, or write books or even be in a ministry publicly, but they can tell one person how they're yeah. feeling. And if they have a trusted person, they can just tell really how they're doing. Um, that's a great first step. It is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and how God will guide them as they raise their typical kids, and and how they support their spouses. Lee, when he was going through his depressed depression a few years ago, I I had never known him in that situation, and so I I didn't understand the severity of it, you know, um, and especially because it was a situation we were going through as a family, right? So we both have the same trigger. We're just reacting in different ways. Hmm. And, um, and it was really hard. Like the first panic attack, he called me. I wasn't at the house. And I'm like, I, I don't understand what you mean by that. What, tell me what, what, what's happening. How quickly do I have to get home? What, yeah. what, do, what do you expect from me? And so that was a season of trying to increase our communication the best we could with those extra challenges so that I could say, okay. okay here's how you need me to step up and show up during this season for you. And that's good. But it was hard to know, you know, was he able to communicate his needs? Yeah, he was. And, and we were seeing a grief counselor at the time. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge help, um, you know, because we were just processing it so differently. And he was a pastor and that adds a different pressure. I mean, it, We've, we've seen Absolutely. that. And so it wasn't just our personal situation. It was how that was affecting our church and how that was affecting every meeting that he sat through. And so, yes. it was so many layers there. And so we just really, you know, I mean, he, medicine was a good solution pretty quickly. And so that mm-hmm. helped stabilize. Then he was through the counseling, more able to give language to it. And yes. So, and so yeah. now we like you guys have a little bit more of a shorthand of yes. this is how I'm feeling or what's, and then I know more quickly how to respond to that. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge ministry. Yeah. I think mental illness is a family illness. It affects every person in the family. Um, and sometimes you won't see that, you know, we're, we were just starting to deal with the repercussions of my years of non-functioning depression when my teenagers were sophomore, junior, seniors in high school, because I was finally at the point of health where they could tell me how much they hated it (laughs) and where I had to be able to just receive it and for us to talk through it, you know, um, it has greatly affected my husband and my children. And those are grieving points for me. I wish it never would have happened, but I also know, uh, friend of mine once told me when I was really, because I do struggle a lot with guilt in general as a mom and a wife wrapped around my depression, that I always have to feel like I'm working back through with the Lord. And one time my friend said to me, and I thought it was just profound, and you probably already know this, Sandra, but she said, you know, Jillian, God is using your depression in your kids' lives for his own purposes. It might not even have anything to do with you. And that just got me excited because I thought I was a little bit off the hook, but also, (laughs) but also I thought, you know, God and his sovereignty, of course, like he makes all things for good. And they are empathetic young women who understand the language of brokenness, aren't afraid of it and aren't afraid when someone says I'm depressed, but 
they do have language and tools and skills and it caused them to run to the Lord because they didn't have their mom. Yeah. I, you know, I hate that. I hate it, but they didn't, you know, they, they deal with abandonment issues because I was on and off. It wasn't like years in bed, but it would be like three or four weeks at a time. So mom would just be gone and then back and then gone, you know? And so, um, it's not healed. It's not done. There's a lot of struggle for them, but I also know that our sovereign God has a plan for their lives in this situation that really doesn't even have anything to do with me. And it's just kind of blew my mind. Yeah. It's freeing. I mean, it takes a lot of the pressure off and we know that being, I mean, aside from that part of it being special needs families, like we see that from that aspect and we went through that process to figure out, okay, this, we, I go back to the verse in James, every good and perfect gift is from the father above. And so it was up to me to see autism as a good and perfect gift, even though that wasn't my mindset early on, yes. but because it comes from a loving father, it has to be for my good. And so yeah. it, I had to change my mindset on that instead of seeing it as a punishment or, you know, a hundred other things that you feel in those first months after a diagnosis, but yeah, no, this is somehow in God's sovereignty and in his economy, a good and perfect thing in my life. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm at the place I'm in, I think I could say in the last, since we've moved to St. Louis, I've slowly been in this upward spiral, not spiral, upward, whatever you want to call it. Slow, I don't know, but I've been getting to new places of healing and that's almost just as difficult as being depressed. In some ways it's harder because depression is comfort. Depression is what I know. My mind, when it rests, rests in depressive places because that's what I'm used to. Yeah. So now that I have this ability to choose better and do better and engage with Jesus and in my Bible and be involved in my life, I still have to choose to do it most days because that's not my go-to response. But as I'm getting healthier and healthier, I see, like I used to hear people say things like, man, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. And I would always think I would, Yeah, <laughs> I would change this. I would trade this. And I still not to the point where I would say, man, I wouldn't trade it. But I do see a lot that the Lord is meant to show me through this now and ask me in a year. I may not see it by then again, but yeah. right now today I can say, wow, you know, God, you are good. I have, moved into a place with you that I have not been before. And I know it's through these weaknesses and struggles in my life. Yeah, that's really good. And, and what yeah. I love even about scripture is there's no, no person whose story we could look at who was without a struggle or without yes. a challenge. And so I don't know why we're so surprised. Yeah. I know. You yeah. open scripture at different points in your journey and it speaks to you in different ways. And yes. And there's brokenness on every page because there's redemption on every page. Yeah. You need one to have the other, you know? Yeah. And if you can take on the full counsel of God and just keep reading through it and through it, I think he meets us in the most interesting places at the right times, you know, yeah. but yeah, it's so funny the way we think we have to be put together and be okay. I mean, people in the Bible are mess and I love it. I love yeah. it. You know? It just, we all need Jesus. So it's, it's good. I think people could be encouraged by that. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
It's mm-hmm. so funny. Even reading through the Psalms, of course, there's this, especially language of depression and, yes, and sorrow and, and grief. Yeah. And you think, wow, I'm not the first one to feel no. this. And it just brings so much hope. Amen. Amen. So one of the posts that I, uh, you were on my team when I was the editor for Key Ministries. Yeah. And one of the posts you wrote has stuck with me. I mean, I think it's a couple years old, but um, it popped that's up. That's right, because I have not written for a couple years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why, you know, some things just stick with you and, and God brings yeah. them to mind again. And so I was reading it uh, last week and I even shared it. I have a Facebook group abiding caregiver Facebook group. And so it's for special need, like it focuses on what we talk about on the podcast. And uh, it's just a place to share prayer requests. It's one of my favorite places to hang out. And I shared it in that group because I was telling them that you were coming on and they were like, wow, this is really encouraging. And so as we wrap up our time together, um, I'd love for you just to share, because I do want to walk away with some practical things. If we yes. have people who are hurting today, mm-hmm. like what hope can we give them uh, during, as they've listened to us chat and, and talk <laughs> about a whole lot of things, but like what hope would we want them to walk away with after our time together? Well, I think if somebody is really in a dark place or an anxious place or in a place where they're really struggling with some aspect of mental illness, Um, that it's important to think in small steps. So breaking down our days. um, I remember one time hearing a speaker talk about how she realized one of the biggest things she struggled with in her mental illness was her loss of dignity. Because when you do the basics for yourself and the people you love, you lose your dignity. And we can regain that dignity by making our beds and taking a shower and doing the next thing just in 10 minute increments. And so for me, when I was in my darkest places, but climbing to get out of them, that's what my therapist said to do was break it down. And she'd say, do the next thing. And I made a list and I would do the smallest things, brush your teeth, make your bed, take a walk around the block spend 10 minutes, you know, in the special needs world, so much guilt for not doing the therapies and the things we're supposed to do. And then when mom or dad feel bad on top of it. um, So a goal would be to actually just spend 10 minutes on that therapy. And if we did it that day, that was a victory. And to focus on that, because if you can have some kind of scaffolding of positivity, you can build on it. And that was absolutely helpful for me. Um, I already shared about the color system when you don't have a language, just using that, use colors or something else to communicate to your friends and family where you're at when you don't have the words. And then they know how to respond because sometimes I'm all for being, you know, um, refocused on the gospel and Bible verses and stuff. And sometimes I'm like, I just want you to bring me a big Coke and just leave me alone. (laughs) Like, don't (laughs) ring the doorbell. You're not coming in, you know, but, and so you need to be able to communicate where you're at. So they know how to properly encourage you. Um, I think reaching out when able is really important. And like we were talking earlier, even if it's just one person and if it's like, Hey, I'm not well today. um, Any letting anyone in, I think is just, very powerful for you, but also for the person who's being let into your life. And I used to have um, Bible verses that I would write out, you know, for many years, the Psalms were my friends, but I didn't do very well at Bible reading um, in a rhythmic way or a focused prayer time. Um, but I would write out 
favorite bio verses and put them in my wallet or in my pocket. And so when I couldn't do anything else, you can just pull them out and read them. It doesn't even have to be considered a prayer, but just something practical on you that you can pull out and look at. Yeah, um, yeah those are some of the things that I thought of as far as practically doing. I would say get help, you yeah. know, this brave thing you can do is just say, I need help. And to know you're not the only one who needs help. We all do. Yeah. And there's help to be had. Yeah. There is. Yeah. And yeah. God is faithful to provide what we need. I mean, you know, I had the friend who, who knew that. And if, if that therapist hadn't been a good fit, I would have found another one. And it just happened that the first one was a good fit. But God. I'm so glad because that's like blind dating. Yeah. <laughs> and that can be very discouraging when you finally get dressed and you go to a meeting and then you don't click with them and you think, see, this isn't going to work, but yeah. you have to persevere and try again. Same with medication. Um, I think it's hard sometimes when we're the ones who are sick, but we're the ones who have to find the healing, but yeah. that's the way it goes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you clicked in the beginning. Yeah. But it is a process and it's a different path for all of us. Just like getting a diagnosis for our kids is a different path for every one of us. And so I think it's really important. I'm really like my friend that goes to our church who texted me. I'm so proud of her. I'm so um, proud of yeah. her saying, I'm struggling and I need help and I'm reaching out to you to help me know what steps to take next. I mean that I'm so proud of her and such, it's so great. I can't wait to see what, where God will lead her. And as she goes through some healing and some, and mm -hmm. digs deeper and figures out what she's doing. But even, even if I think, even if you don't believe you have a mental health diagnosis, I think sessions in counseling, especially oh, yeah. for us as caregivers. Everybody really should important. go. Yeah. And I yeah. know it's hard with money and sometimes, you know, you might be able to find a college program who has free counseling or something. It, it's not easy to do it, but I think if we only have a little bit of energy and there's a few things we could focus on, that would be up on my list. Yeah. And that's coming from someone who doesn't have a therapist right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm talking to myself as well. Yeah, I know. Okay. This is our, yeah. we're pep talking you as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think another thing to just remember, you know, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus as your savior, um, then your identity is not your mental illness. Your identity yeah. is not Holly's mom or James's mom. You know, your identity, like it says in first Peter, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that verse kind of makes me cry because I think on the days I only see darkness, I'm actually still in the light. Wow. And that is my hope and that's my victory. And that's my identity, even though I feel all the negativity and the darkness that you could imagine. Yeah. That's really good. That's yeah. I'm glad you found a verse that speaks to you so specifically to just yeah. paint this picture for you of your true identity and, and who yeah. you are. And mm -hmm. well, because I can tell myself some pretty weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Live in those dark places. So yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Scripture. I think if anybody can read and pray, it's so, it's so good, but I understand and there's no guilt or shame if there's a time you can't. Yeah. It's for your own encouragement and growth, but it's not out of ticking a box or shaming or anything. Right. It's just life. It's just yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. And God, 
re- he meets us where we are and he reaches down to us. Just like there was nothing we could do to earn his love. There's nothing in our struggles that would, that would make him turn away and say, well, this is too messy for me. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's such, such freedom for me. It's like I, my anxiety makes me feel too much pressure like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've, like there's this standard and I never live up to it and there's expectations yeah. and I never meet them. And of course I can so easily put that on God and as well mm-hmm. as the people around me. And so that's why, that's where I have to talk to myself and say, no, I am dearly beloved by him. Yes. And that verse in Zephaniah where it says he sings over us, like, yeah. like I can tell myself, no, he just kind of tolerates you, like, <laughs> you know, but that, that verse is like, no, he, he celebrates you, me, like me personally. And I, I, I love that. Have you ever had that thought with that vert when they always are quoting, well done, my good and faithful servant? I always think that God would be like, well, good try. <laughs> Didn't quite work out yeah. <laughs> or whatever. But no, he sings over us. I mean, that it's just encouraging to remember our status uh, in these times of struggle. Because we, we tell ourselves everything and the enemy tells us everything and he loves that we struggle. And so to have those, those truths are so important to preach the gospel to ourselves every yeah. day. Yeah. yeah. Every day. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, tell everybody where they can find you. Um, Instagram is my favorite place to follow you, but that's not the yeah. only place where you show up. I know. Yeah. I've been very busy healing and not doing as much work. <laughs> But I, I am on Instagram. I I have a Facebook author page, just my name, Jillian Marchenko. I post a couple times there a week. Message me if anybody wants to. I will definitely respond to you. If I do not respond to you, then I'm depressed. <laughs> and I will at some point. But yeah, um, and I have a website, JillianMarchenko.com. You can read some of my old posts. There you can find links to my books. I have one about Polly's diagnosis. It's called Sunshine Down, about our time in Ukraine as missionaries. And then my book about depression is called Still Life, um, a memoir of living fully with depression. That was with InterVarsity Press. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that, when did, that's just a couple years old, right? Two, 2016. Oh, really? I was thinking it was like 2018. So. Yeah, it's been a little bit. So, yeah. That's a, it was such an encouraging book and read and even the title of it I just I loved the title and and all that that represented and said no this thank you still life (laughs) life with depression and anxiety is still life for sure yeah but it is it's more like there's a double meaning in the name because with still life it really is like a still life painting yeah like it's a first person narrative about a family living in depression and so it's a it's a little bit raw now looking back where I am now, some things I would have omitted and added, but I just have to trust the sovereignty of God. Oh yeah. So if you read it, you're going to hear some weird stuff about me. <laughs> but oh well, what can yeah. you do? I don't I know. know. I know. And you just, you really do trust that God uses that and, and says, okay, this is, it may be exactly what somebody needs to hear where they are today. And so. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but thank you so much for letting me talk with you today. This has been a really fun experience for me. Yeah, for me too. Thank you. It really is a gift to have you in my life, even just 
in a casual way, just to say, I know, hey, solidarity. I feel solidarity. Yeah, that's really cool. So yeah. thanks for spending time with me. I hope that virtual schooling goes great this week. I hope it's. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you as well. Yes, thank you. All right. Okay, bye bye. Bye.